Hello there. Thank you for joining us again on The Basic and The Brain. For those of you who may have missed us the last few weeks, we're Alina and Maddie, aka The Basic and The Brain, and we're here to bring Botox and Bravo to the fucking table for your next dinner party. Yeah, I mean, think of it as us bringing basic bitch topics into the intellectual sphere. So grab yourself a glass of wine, or White Claw, or whatever hard seltzer, alcoholic drink of preference, (laughs) and join us for this week's episode. Hello, hello, my dear. Hi, hello, hello. Hello from nighttime. Oh my God. <laughs> it's almost five on the East Coast. So I feel like you're still having lunch and we're getting ready for happy hour over here. I know. That's so insane. I can't believe you're still in New York. How much longer are you there for? We are here through the weekend. So we leave Sunday. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Look at you. Living your best life. I know. This is like, I am definitely trying my hardest to experience the like real housewives of New York, sex in the city, like my version of it, um, my budget (laughs) version of it. And it's, it's just, you know, it's been so nice. It's just walking. Oh, a hundred percent. I feel like that's like the best thing about New York city. When I was there, it's the liveliness of course, but I feel like it's just like, it's so normal to just like walk, you know, everywhere. Yeah. So Mark and I are staying on 15th and third and we walked last night in the dead of winter in New York to 57th and like Broadway. Jesus Christ. So it's like over two miles. Yeah. That's insane. That's yeah. And it's just, it's just been so nice. To just move. Oh, yes. So yeah, like in LA, it. like in LA, it's impossible. Like you have to have a car to exist there. You have and to. I'll, yeah. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but I sometimes don't go to the post office until I'm driving. The co- post office is on my corner, <laughs> but, but I'm like, I don't really feel like walking the four minutes or I don't really feel like waiting for the cars. Cause you know, I live off of that like really busy street. It's like, so I will wait until I have an excuse to get in the car then to go and mail a letter. You know what I've also noticed? So interesting point that you made, but I also feel like when we're on vacation, like we move more, like that's the other thing too, right? Like I know you're visiting oh, yeah. family and it's kind of a vacation, kind of not, you know, cause like, you know, when you're visiting family, it's always like, there's so much stuff to do, but I just feel like when you're on vacation, like you just tend to move more. Cause you're like going to see things you want to get out. You're like, I spent all this fucking money to get here. I might as well like make the most out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think in New York, this is also just like the lifestyle here. It's like Mm. you walk places, like nobody has a car. Um, I did take the train yesterday and took like an hour to go. I went a pretty far distance. I went like 150 city blocks, but still. Yeah, I know. I got dropped off like very far uptown, which I've never been that far uptown in my life, but it was like a convenient thing instead of taking like an Uber to the train, to the train, to the train. So fine. Um, but besides that, I just, I have just been walking everywhere and it has been incredible and I feel great. I feel like I'm like energized and I'm loving it. Oh um, and I happen to be here and it's apparently like beautiful weather. I'm freezing, but it's, it's been like 40 to 60 degrees and at home in LA, apparently it's like monsooning right now. Like my dogs, my dogs are not, my, I'm getting like multiple messages from my dog sitters being like, hi, your dog is like not eating, not going out, not peeing. Like, what do I do? And I'm like, 
sorry, they're divas. They live in LA. They don't understand rain. It's weird. So. Oh my God. Not mad. Not mad. Yeah. Um, interesting. Little Miss LA. Can't, uh, can't stand the cold in New York. Look at you. Oh, oh, how things have changed. I literally um, bought like jacket, scarf, gloves, <laughs> and a hat. I was going to wear the hat because I felt I, like it was very festive, but I won't do it. Oh, that's cute. I will say I, um, as you know, I was in Reno this weekend and of course my mom picked the worst fucking weekend to go. Cause there's literally like a massive storm that hit. Like, she couldn't have, don't blame your mom. She didn't know. <laughs> no, but like we knew Friday before we were going to leave on Saturday and she was just like, I still want to go. She was like, God willing, we'll make it. It'll be fine. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, okay, yeah. we'll, we'll take chance. It'll be an adventure. Like that was her whole thing. It'll be an adventure. So we drive back on Monday and for the first time ever, I put on snow chains. First time ever in my life. First, first ever time. I've never done that in my oh, life. Really? It is an experience. I will say um, my hands Wait, were fucking where, frozen. Where did you get snow chains from? Oh, you can just like buy them. Like my little brother on Friday, before we knew that we were going to go, he was like, oh, there's a storm. Let me buy like snow chains just in the off oh. chance that we need them. So, um, so yeah. fucking with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, And let me tell you, it took <laughs> how many like... <laughs> How many Afro Arabs does it take to put on snow chains? And let me tell you right now, it takes three. <laughs> it takes three. <laughs> I wouldn't know how to do it. I have no I, idea. I think I would have just been like, we live here now, guys. This is where we live. Just get used to it. Get comfortable. Just get comfortable in this car, you guys. Like, yes, we'll be snowed in. We might be popsicles by the end of this week, but it is a-okay. Um, it was actually hilarious. At some point, Ami was like, we need to go get snacks just in the off chance that we might need to like park the car because the snow is getting out of control. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> I might die out here. Um, but yeah, it made me realize that um, I am a little bitch and I don't think I could handle cold weather like as like a place when I like think about like long-term place I could live in, if you have snow, if you have like that kind of a season, I don't know if I could do it. So I agree, but I think, so like I turn the heat on in LA when it's 71 degrees, like I'm not kidding. 71 degrees outside, the heat is going on. I can't handle it. Maybe my house is a piece of shit and there's no insulation. I don't know, but I must have heat on at that like point. However, here, mm. I'm all here and it's 40 degrees. I just think, A, it's a mindset shift because you're not expecting it to be cold in California or Reno, right? And then, B, you're prepared. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like in, again, in California, for context, like it's, it's, or as the context, places don't necessarily have heat on. Mm. Whereas here, it's like you sweat inside, but then you freeze outside because everyone's prepared. Like, you're going to wear your parka. You're going to have gloves. You're going to have a hat. So, I don't know. I don't like winter. Why do I literally was like, I am 17. Goodbye, New York. I'll see you never. And I've lived in like every tropical place or warmer place. But now I'm like, Oh, if, if you're like a responsible human being, which I wasn't when I lived in New York, I would be like, Oh, I'm wearing a shawl out or like I'm wearing a leather jacket. Cause I don't want to wear a parka it ruins my outfit or something. And then I'm like, why am I so cold? And now I'm like, I don't give a shit what I look like. I will wear the yeah. Lenny Kravitz. Like blanket scarf thing if I have to, to stay warm. So I think it's all relative. And I think that you could totally live somewhere colder than you think. 
I mean, sure. I did live in England for a year where it snowed and like, I was a little reckless in the sense that I would wear tights and like short skirts and shit. So it, I, exactly. I, it is based on like what you're used to for sure. For sure. But it just, yeah. man, uh, dealing with those snow chains, I, my mind went to a place of like, fuck this. I'm never, ever going to like <laughs> Reno in the middle of winter. Oh no. Again. Reno in the middle of winter. No. Oh my gosh. Dear Lord. Um, okay, cool. On that note, I think it's time for a basic bitch quickie. We're bringing it back. Dun, 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 dun. Um, so for our listeners who may be new, um, this is where we do a lightning round of top headlines from the week. And we give our quite quick top of mind thoughts about it. Um, so, you know, I've already got a few of them pulled up for us. Um, are you ready, Alina? You got the timer set this time? Yes. Hold <laughs> on. I'm getting the timer right now. How do, where do I find it? Sorry. No. I'm like my mom. Like I'm like one of those people when it comes to, to knowing how to use their phone and technology. Okay. So what do we think? Three minutes? Yeah. I think three minutes. minutes. Yeah. Let's do three. We usually always fucking go over anyway. So, um, but let's put three, let's, let's pretend that we'll stick with three minutes. Let's (laughs) pretend. Okay. All right. Okay. And Kim is furious with Kanye and sent a clear statement by filing to drop name. And go. I So I think that this came from her being really angry with him or embarrassed probably that he was like begging for her and was like, please come running back to me. Like more specifically Kimberly at his show in LA with Drake. Um, I, I feel like it was such a strategic move to file hours later to be legally single and be like, by the way, I'm done. Because mm-hmm. I feel like he he was not accepting it he was not getting it do you do you think it's more of like an ego and pride thing for him or do you think it's like he actually wants to be with her because he didn't live with her for like years so it's a pride thing it's definitely an ego thing I think he's seeing her move on and I think he's like she's mine but like more of like a property standpoint than Mm. anything else yeah because I don't think at this point that he really if he cared for her he would have tried to fix the relationship a long time ago and they would have like done reconciliation they would have gone there there's like so many avenues that would have been open but for you to continuously like publicly go out and about like this Drake concert wasn't the first time that he publicly said, like, I want Kim back or, like, we'll be yeah. together forever. There was that other instance at, like, some charity organization thing where he said, like, oh, like, we'll come back together. Um, or, like, God he, will bring us back together or something exactly. like that. Yes, yes. Like the homeless shelter thing in LA. Exactly. And I just feel like time and time again, he's doing these things. And I think she's coming at it from the perspective of, like, I want to be a co-parent with you. But he's like, I won't let you go. Like, I, I think we talked about this before where I, he believes that he made her. Like, that's... And I think for him, it's so hard for him to, like, yeah. let go of that and to let go and, like... It, completely acknowledge that there's going to be a massive shift. And I think what's also telling about this is the fact that she filed to change the name separate from the actual like settlement of the divorce and the custody case. Like she was like, Nope, I want this to be separated because I really want his fucking name off of mine. And I want to file to be single. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, I think that that was her, maybe not so subtle way of trying to say like Kanye, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. And I give her such credit. I give her such props. I mean, for not I, coming out because I feel like, I feel like she could be like he's fucking crazy. He's a head case. This is why I'm divorcing him or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like she could air their dirty laundry and so on and so forth. But she's just trying to like make a statement without being 
without embarrassing him. And you know, I'm not like the like number one fan of Kim, but mm-hmm. I respect the shit out of her. Don't get me wrong. And I, I just think it's very classy. It's a classy way of like yeah. making a statement and trying to just like move on with your life without, you know. It'll be really interesting to see like long-term, like how much patience patience she can actually have with this. Cause I think there's going to be like a boiling point for her where she's just like, fuck this. And then she's really going to go in on him. And I can't wait for it. Oh God, um, do you think? I mean, like, imagine all of the crazy shit that he's done leading up to the divorce and how she pretty much kept quiet about it all, right? Mm-hmm. And she was just, like, for the sake of her kids. But, like, imagine having to deal with that stress continuously. Like, no. I can only imagine someone getting fed up at a certain point and then blowing up. And, like, as much as I admire Kim and I know that she keeps things internalized, like, girl, there's only so much shit that you could do. You know what I mean? Only so much patience one can fucking have. I think at a certain point, she's going to have to just like put him in his place and be like, Kanye, fuck off. Like we are done. We have children. I want to co-parent. Although why did she leave the stocking on the fireplace? Co-parenting. I think like for the kids, right? It's like, oh, daddy is also going to still be involved in like Christmas celebrations. Okay. I had already given us an extra 30 minutes. I think that we can continue going for a few more, but yeah. um, Okay, fine. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like a, yeah. I don't know that I would be that mature if I was going through something where like this guy literally aired my dirty laundry and talked about how I talked about an abortion with my first child and all the above. Yeah. Like, but I think also like there's only oh, already been so much damage publicly. Like when he said that abortion stuff publicly about the kids, like, yeah, I can imagine she wants to protect them at all costs. And so true, true. like I can understand, I mean, look, I'm not a mother, so I, there's only so much I can understand of that world, but I would assume, at least from my perspective, that they would be the priority and like my immaturity would hurt them in the end, right? And it wouldn't solve anything between me and that person, unfortunately. Fair. That's so mature of you. See, I would be like, daddy's awful. We hate him. <laughs> I would be like, you see and that? That what that's what leads to childhood trauma. Thank you. Yes. There's a lot of therapy <laughs> in the world to be had. It's fine. My kids will be okay. Um, also on another note about the Kardashians, I know that we've gone like very, very, very far over our BBQ yeah. time allotment. Um, but Kim finally passed the baby bar. I sorry so proud of her. <laughs> also, the announcement, that fucking dress. Are you kidding me? I know. An so gorgeous. Blue. Oh, gorgeous. Amazing. Yes. I'm loving like that full coverage style that she's really been into or leaning into recently. Like I'm into it. Like the form fitting, like just, I don't know. It just adds a wow factor to me. No, it's amazing. And I personally, as somebody who like, I'm just like a large human in general. I mean, just tall. (laughs) You mean tall. (laughs) No, 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 no. But like, I'm tall. Like I'm, I'm, I'm big, but like, you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like when I try to wear, because for a while, all the rage was like baggy shit. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's like, if you're not a tiny five foot two petite double zero with like a big ass and boobs, like I I literally looked like a blob. I would, and I would try, I would literally try to wear like the mom jeans. And I was like, cool, I have a fupa. <laughs> I would try to wear like, you know, trapeze dresses or just like, it just, it, it just doesn't work on me. So I'm really happy. I, I tend to need to wear form-fitting stuff mm. so that I don't just look like a blob. Fair enough. Yeah. I'm really I mean, excited about that. Yeah, I, I agree. I tend to like blobby things, but mainly just for comfort. Um, Pierre hates it because it's like, yeah, I just look like rotund. You know what I mean? Like big pumpkin. <laughs> 
but when I wear form fitting shit, it's like, oh, wow, you clean up nice. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I just hide everything. I hide everything. You have curves. I'm like, yeah, I do. I just don't wear shit that shows it. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Um, but yeah, but I yeah. think it's so cool. Oh, also, since we're talking about the Kardashians, I just want to share with our listeners the um, gift that I sent you where it was um, Chris Jenner calling up Chloe, being like, Chloe, oh. you now need to find a grunge boyfriend. You have two months to find a grunge boyfriend or like you're, or you're out. You're out. <laughs> you're out. You're done. Um, and I thought that was hilarious because literally like we're seeing that pattern, right? Courtney's, uh, you know, fiance, Travis or... Travis, right? Travis. Yeah. Pete. yeah. Barker. Um, Barker. And then you have Pete Davidson and Kim. Chloe, you're up next. What's up, homegirl? <laughs> I'm just waiting to see what happens in the next few months. I also just realized, like, I feel like it also has to be, like, a white grungy guy to oh, fit 100%. the new thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. and the Kardashians were always a very, like, multicultural. Mm-hmm. You know, they tended to gravitate towards, like, athletes or mm-hmm. musicians or whatever that were African-American. So it's... Yep. It, like I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah. Um, I yeah. like, I feel like they're just like moving into a new phase, you know, like Kim is, but why is it always a phase? Like, why can't they all just like love who they want to love? <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I just find it hilarious. Like they're all like evolving. It's not even a phase. It's just like an evolution, it but they evolve into the same person. Kind of. Yeah. As weird as that right? sounds. Yeah. 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 But so it's, it's like, like, why can't Chloe date another <laughs> basketball player? She's five ten. I get that. Like she should be able to date the basketball player and not necessarily the like scrawny little musician. No. She wants to be lifted up and, you know, taken care of. Like, I get it. I get it. Chloe. You mean thrown across the room into the bedroom kind of thing. That's what you were going for. Right. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, I just want her to be happy. Like after the whole Tristan disaster of how he made a fool oh. of her time and time and time again, like the girl just deserves happiness. And maybe, you yeah. know, searching outside of the parameters of like her usual, you know, interest or preference. Like, I wonder if that would lend to like a more fruitful relationship for her. I love how maybe, all of this like happened off of me talking about a gift, by the way, like that just cracks yeah. me up. <laughs> Interesting. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I think, okay, put it this way. If Chloe suddenly decides to date a white tatted piercing like musician mm-hmm. or any, anyone that is not a, not a basketball player, we know that Chris is behind it. That's all oh, I'm going to say. A hundred fucking percent. Yes. 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 yes so, I agree. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. We've, we've literally gone over by like 5,000. Okay. All right. So okay. what is the next one? Oh, you're going to love this one. Um, Mr. Big is alive inside Peloton's and just like that ad with Ryan Reynolds. And and, I'm going to give us six minutes for the puppy and go. I mean, okay. So first of all, Ryan Reynolds, holy shit. Yep. Fucking mastermind. Mm -hmm. I, so when I first saw it, I I don't know, I woke up and I saw the ad. I was so confused. I was like, what does this have to do with Brian Reynolds? Mm-hmm. Why is he involved? Where does he come from? Who is he in the Sex and the City like franchise? And then I saw today that apparently he owns a marketing firm yeah. or company. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, if we ever get to a point where we're like employing a marketing firm, oh, I'm reaching out to him. hundred <laughs> percent. Like we'll like remortgage my house for oh. it. Um, but like brilliant. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I. I thought it was amazing. 
I think what I found interesting because I was also like, why the fuck is his voice on this? And then I started to think about the fact that, oh shit, I tied it together where the Peloton ad, I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2019, that awkward ass shit Peloton ad that they did with that girl where you thought the guy was abusing her into like working out. Um, And then he came out with his own ad with Aviation Jin with the same actress to like poke fun at it. Um, and so for me, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they did that because they're trying to do like the poke funny thing. And that's why they pulled him in to like tie it into like 2019 as yep. consistent marketing tactics. Yep. And then that's when I also found out that like he has his own ad agency, Maximum Effort. Apparently they got bought out by another company called like MNTN, like Mountain. Um, and oh, they're what like, a, what a genius buy. <laughs> literally. Um, apparently they're all about like creative marketing stuff as like a subscription service, which I thought was kind of cool too. Um, but yeah, I mean that ad, I saw it when I was in Reno with my mom and I just like, it was during dinner when I saw it and I literally just had like, I flipped, like flipped the table over. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, Peloton, you fucking won the internet today. I could not believe what I was seeing. So love it. I, like I said, I I thought it was so smart. I felt like Big looked, I was like, he looks like he aged about 25 years since the mm-hmm. show aired, which is weird because they just wrapped mm-hmm. filming pretty pretty recently. But um, I thought it was such a good, like, I guess, clap back. And at first, I think, and I think the majority of the world is like wondering, conspiracy theories, did Peloton have this plan the whole time? Because how could they actually have like done it? So quickly. Done it, figured it out, edited it, recorded or filmed it, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. all these things. And according to the article that I read today, I think it was by Variety Magazine, like they literally Mm -hmm. filmed, edited, Mm -hmm. did the voiceover, everything in 36 hours. Mm -hmm. So then when they, when they, when Peloton posted, I think it was a tweet where, or maybe it was like on Instagram where they were just like, if we could, if we could turn that around so quickly, like you can get on your, Mm -hmm. on your bike today. And I was like, (gasps) They I know. know. They know. I haven't been on my bike in six months. Savage. I mean, what was it? I saw, I saw someone who was like, the devil works hard, but not as hard as Peloton's like marketing team. And I was like, that's pretty fucking accurate. Like who works harder, Peloton's marketing team or maximum efforts marketing team or Christian? Yeah. That's my question. Um, but the real hard hitting, hard hitting questions. <laughs> I'd be curious to know who logs more hours, but um, yeah, no, I, so at first I went down the rabbit hole of like, they must have known. And I think this, the one question mark that I still have, that's kind of like outstanding. Mm -hmm. That's like making me, I'm like 98.5% in the camp, but this was total reaction. And my primary reason for that is, is like a company. I feel like the only thing that they will do anything to avoid slash protect is their stock price. Mm. Right. mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. So I, they would have never, sorry, they would have never let it go that far that they would have lost like over 10% of their share price overnight. They, I feel like they would have, they would have hit us mm-hmm. with that, that ad mm-hmm. three and a half days sooner if it was pre-planned. But the one question that I have is how did you like negotiate with Chris that quickly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they must have started the negotiations Thursday night. Yeah. yeah. When they saw so then, the fucking show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, that's my only question. And like, was it, it must not have been much of a negotiation. They probably were so desperate that they yeah. 
Like I, I want to know what they paid him. I agree. I like literally was th- sitting there and I was like, how much did they give this man? And how much did they pay maximum effort for this ad? Like I, I was saying, I was like, they probably made bank just given how desperate Peloton probably was to get this out oh. there ASAP. I also will say the article that I read in ads ad week. Um, so it confirmed that Peloton had no fucking idea that their bike yes. was going to be utilized in that capacity. They knew that it was going to be used. They just didn't know that that was going to be this. And it's because once again, remember I, earlier when we talked about this, um, HBO was like buttoned up, but they were like, we're not saying shit about what's going on with this show. Um, you just need to know that we have a Peloton bike, um, yeah. which I thought was like hilarious. Um, I still think it's funny. I mean, poor Peloton to your point flat, like earlier this week, like heads probably did roll. <laughs> um, but Ryan Reynolds came in for the win with that fucking ad. No, a hundred percent. So it's really funny. Cause I was trying to Google, like how much did they pay him for this? Apparently, according to glamour magazine, he signed on before they actually knew like what they were going to do. I think that they just knew that that was the angle they were going for. Like, Hey, cardio is actually really good for people that have cardiovascular issues. And uh, it's okay. Continue your thought. And by the way, I just want to say, I I am obsessed with their headline, which is how Ryan Reynolds made the Chris Noth Peloton commercial happen faster than Carrie dialed 911. Yeah. And I'm dead because you know how I feel about it. She fucking killed him. She could have saved him. You know what? I sent you an article where the creator, what's his name? Michael, Michael, right? King. Yeah. Michael King, where he talked about it. And I thought it was interesting that he brought in the dynamic of like, you can look at it from both perspectives. It's either like the Carrie Aiden perspective or the Carrie big perspective. And it was always like this big romantic you know, logic is out the window. Um, like it was supposed to be poetic or you could have looked at it from the Carrie Aiden perspective because when Carrie was with Aiden, it was a little bit more logistical, mechanical. Um, and they were like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was more of a poetic choice. That time had froze. It was supposed to be like last moments together. Um, I don't think they expected people were going to think that Carrie killed big because she didn't call 911. I'm also of the mindset that I don't think it, you know, even if you called 911 that quickly, that an ambulance would be able to get there in the nick of time in the midst of New York. <laughs> no, listen, uh, so, okay, obviously I know why they made that decision. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand the theatrics behind it, but I guess they could have easily written in that the ambulance didn't get there in time. And just, that was it. I don't think it would have been as, like, hard-hitting. And I think for you... For me, no, as someone who watched it, as someone who watched it without the spoilers, I think it no. lent to the sort of flow and ebb of the storyline. And once again, this could just also be because like I'm more into like the poetry of the medium in front of me. And I felt like it would have been way too jarring if there had been like the whole saving tactics and like trying to like play that into the to the end of it. Like, I think it was poetic that it ended that way. He's dying in her arms. And then she literally says with the voiceover, and just like that, Big died. 
Yeah. And that bothered me so much. Like, and just like that and big dad, like, I no, that's not, but that's not how anybody in reality reacts to anybody dying. Like I'm telling you, like, I know that I texted you about this, but like literally my dog died and they had to peel me off the fucking floor of the vet's office and like drag me out and like mm. make me drink water. Cause I was hyperventilating. Like, I don't care if it's like your husband, I don't care if it's someone you don't know. Like your reaction is never going to be like, let me not try to save you. And then your secondary reaction is never going to be. And just like that. Yeah. And but it's like, her telling no. a story after the fact. It's she wasn't actually saying that in the moment as it was happening. I don't um, also I'm going to be the devil's matter. advocate here. As you know, um, everybody grieves differently. Like I didn't cry at my dad's funeral. Actually, me and my little brother cracking jokes. And then people went and told my mom, like, why are they being so inappropriate? Like, why are they not crying over the day? You know what I mean? Shit like that. Like, so for me, I guess I'm a little bit more sensitive. And I think that they will probably explore Carrie's grief in different ways as the show goes on. I understand that everybody grieves differently. But again, I just, for me, it's like, you don't call 911. Also, my friend who is a nurse, by the way, shout out Katie. Um, I know she's a listener, so very excited about that. Um, but she, I don't really understand what she said, but she goes, yeah, she literally talked about how he had nitroglycerin pills, which helps stop heart attacks. Like give him a pill and call 911. Like, no, I'm so upset. I can't even talk about it. I'm pissed. Well, I'm kind then, of like, curious, do the nitroglycerin pills, like, do they work like in the moment as somebody is having a heart attack? I guess I just don't know about it much from like a medical standpoint. Know. Again, I'm not a doctor, TBD, Katie, let us know <laughs> what the answer to that is. But no, I guess it was just like, I, I, again, I understand from a theatrical perspective, I understand that they wanted to open the door to like grief and how things happen and whatever, yeah. all these things. I get it. However, my thing is just like about the way that they wrote the show. It just feels like they're trying so fucking hard to have Carrie be like the strong woman who's going to pick up the pieces and be able mm-hmm. to like make decisions. And she's hard and she's not crying and she's this and she's that. And then like, so I finally finished the first episode. That's yeah. number one. We'll talk about that. Number two, I then watched the second episode and I literally waited like four days because I was so traumatized by the way they finished episode one. Cause I mm-hmm. refused to watch episode two. And it was just like the way that like the first thing you see is Carrie opening the door, looking like she's barely cried. Like she looked like shit, but like barely cried and was like, what do I do now? And Miranda thinks she's talking about big and she's like, no, about about me. It's like, I think I just love that you're reacting to these things when I consider them to be like heart wrenching moments. No, Um, that is so selfish, but it's not really selfish because it's like, and you have a right to be angry. I will say though, as someone who saw, you know, my mother go through the loss of my dad, for example, one of her things was like, what am I going to do now? And she talked about her feelings of like being alone, you know, like there's so many thoughts that go through your head of all of a sudden, like the dissolution of your life partner, you know what I mean? Like they're no longer there. And totally, I think that it can be misinterpreted in any which way, of course. But for me, it was heart-wrenching because it's like, we've only seen Carrie through the lens of her relationship with Big in a lot of ways throughout the show. And I think that was sort of the culmination of like, what do I do now? Because now Big is no longer in the picture. What are they going to do from a storyline perspective? It all goes back to like how, like I see it more from like this poetic lens and I see the perspective of like how the writers are taking it. But I do agree with you that like, 
it can be interpreted in that other light as well. I get it. I just think that they're trying a little bit too hard to like drive that particular storyline. Whereas I feel like they're now alienating all the people like me who are like, Jesus, like take a minute to like, be like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. Really fucking dark. They took it really dark this, um, with this reboot and, yeah, man, maybe it's just that I just don't like the way that Sarah Jessica Parker, who I think is amazing. I love mm-hmm. SJP, but like, maybe I just don't like the way that she is portraying that. Maybe I feel like she is like, just not acting it out in a way that I think is believable. Like I don't get me wrong. I understand. Like, what do I do now? I understand the question mm-hmm. as she's posing it, but I do. I was just like, that's all I get. Mm. Six fucking seasons, two shitty movies, yeah. and 25 years later, like, like that's movie. all I get. That is li- no, like, that's literally how you're going to like. I get it. I get it, girl. I think for what? me, it's because I have a little patience because I'm just like, I want to see how this is going to unfold before I make a judgment on the shitty writing no. choices. Listen, the, the, I, okay, I guess I just felt like there was so much more emphasis put on the way that like, oh, the flowers were from Samantha. Like, I feel like she showed more about that than her husband dying in her arms. Yeah. I'm going to withhold comment until I see how this whole season plays out. I think that's how I'm feeling about it. Cause for me, these were all very like poignant moments and like elements that like lead to the like poetic movement of emotion. Um, But like, once again, dependent on how this all plays out, dependent on how they like talk about her grief, dependent on like all of these other factors, I will then come back and be like, my final thoughts are that this was absolute shit or my final thoughts were like, oh, this is what they were leading up to. So fine. But I think that like, you have to like get us there. Like you have to let us know. Exactly. Also Mm -hmm. because like, come on, Sex and the City is like, I don't mean to be an asshole. And I know that this is an entirely different show, but like it is based on six seasons and two movies. Yeah, I agree. That have a very particular like way. And vibe of, of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this to me felt like I was just like, oh, like what what are you trying to do? What are you trying to be? Like she grieved like outwardly more directly in a sense. Like I don't know if mm-hmm. that's the word I'm looking for, but I felt like she grieved the him jolting her mm. more. Mm. And and again, I'm this is nothing to do with my feelings on how you grieve when you grieve why you grieve all the above I get it grief is a thing we all know I've dealt with it too but it's just like it was also a give movie. Us what we want just give us what we want I will also say they're two different mediums right like you saw grief but in the span of like an hour and a half movie where they had to like give it to us directly into the point versus like however many episodes where they're going to draw this shit out for you know what I mean mm-hmm. I think it's also just the different mediums too but I will say it's going to be fucking interesting um, how this all develops. I also, you know, going back to like our text convo, what was it the other night? And I think this, you've watched episode two, right? Yeah. 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 Um, Around like, I feel like to your point where they're trying too hard in a lot of ways where it's like, they're trying too hard to be relevant and it really takes away oh. from what we loved about Sex in the City. Okay. And I agree. I think it's it's just becoming a different show. It's it in my mind, it's the same characters, sure, but it's it's not the same show. That's how no, I see it. it's trying. Yeah, no, I agree. And so yeah, like so I finally finished the first episode and I wish I had watched it 
before we spoke last time, but like the black Charlotte comment, I was like out of pocket, out ah! of pocket. Um, that was weird. Um, I feel like the whole Miranda, like stumbling over her words, like, look, I, I get it. I, that's probably a thing for people. And yeah. I understand why they're trying to address it, but again, it's like, just be a little bit more natural and organic. And I feel like Mm -hmm. it's very clear that the people that are writing Mm -hmm. are writing not through like lived experiences and they're writing through like what they think people want to see. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I think it's a fucking train wreck Mm -hmm. from that respect but we will see. Um, very excited to watch. But well, I don't know actually if I'm excited. Like I'm gonna watch it, but I'm pissed. But um, excited to see where things go, and um, we'll we'll continue to debrief on this. Yeah, I agree. Via text, via Instagram, <laughs> via Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, exactly. Just like all Twitter, the different mediums, everything, <laughs> and via podcast. Um, but yeah, with, with that said, I think we can go ahead and get into our topic of the day. This week, we figured we'd continue the discussion around the tragedy, unfortunately, that is surrounding Alec Baldwin and the film Rust, continuation from last week's episode um, with our special guest, Paul Imbro. Thanks again, Paul. We love you. We love you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Alina, do you want to kick us off with what's what and who's who before we get into it? Yes. So at a very high level, um, for our listeners who may not be up to speed on this, it's changing every day. Alec Baldwin recently did an interview about his experience on this set of Rust, which I believe was a Western mm-hmm. movie um, in regards to the tragic shooting. Um, so essentially there was, uh, he claims rather that A, he didn't pull the trigger, which I think that we'll dive into a little bit in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that there, that there were issues with the gun as well as the crew on set. Um, I mean, we don't know if it was an issue of just like general incompetence, negligence, like was the process fucked up, um, safety, so on and so forth. And I mean, unfortunately this all led to the death of the director of photography i think it's helena 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 because i know it kept listening and i was like oh that sounds like me um helena hutchins um and then the director joel souza he actually got shot i believe in the arm while filming um or actually sorry it wasn't even filming a scene it was practicing yeah they were rehearsing which is wild yeah they were like rehearsing yeah Mm -hmm. so i mean i know that we've talked about this um you know, a couple of times you mentioned it last week with Paul, we've talked about it when it first happened. Um, but Maddie, like, I just kind of want to understand your thoughts. Who, who do you think is to blame? Right. Um, it seems like, I mean, Alec Baldwin has completely separated himself from it and said, look, I didn't pull the trigger, which I'm not mm-hmm. sure how that works. Um, I also am not the one to blame, even though he's the one that theoretically killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tell me a little bit more about this. Like, what what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it, the interview is interesting, and then like diving into all of the articles and speculation um, everywhere showcases that this is really multi tiered. So 
it could have been due to negligence on the armorer side. And for context, the armor is the person on set who's in charge of the weapons, like the guns. I mean, I feel like that's who it should be on, but sorry. <laughs> sorry, no, I should I, just like jump in, but I'm like, hi, the person who is in charge to make sure the weapons are safe should probably be the one that is responsible for making sure the weapons are safe, but okay. 100 fucking percent. And that Thanks. is why like, I want to get that out there. Yeah, yeah. No, 100% agree with you on that one. Um, also, you know, like, there was also like it could potentially be negligence on the production side for not ensuring safety protocols were followed, and this be, could do, be due to like wanting to like cut corners because like their ex, you know timeline of shooting and and wanting to save the budget. Um, also, the other interesting thing about this whole situation is that there were two accidental weapons discharges preceding the tragedy, which like screams to me massive fuck up. Like, I mean, to tell me it wasn't just like a one oopsie, like there were two oopsies and then clearly a third that led to someone losing their life, which Wait. to me is wild. I mean, that is just crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Um, that should have been shut down. <laughs> like, I feel like, I don't know. I'm not in the industry. I feel like production probably should have nipped that in the. Yeah, you would think. Oh my God. But what is really fascinating here um, is do I think it could potentially be a freak accident? Maybe. And what. Um, as Sorry, it's all... not a freak accident if somebody loads a fucking live bullet into a gun and then somebody else pulls a trigger. Like, that's not a freak accident. Well, the thing is that live bullets should never be on set when they're weapons well, this, as part this of the is safety protocols. what I'm protocols. saying. So it's not yeah. a freak accident. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all know you you love a good conspiracy theory. Love, love, love. <laughs> and one thing that I think the interview brought up and a lot of people are bringing up is that someone potentially brought a live bullet on set and put it in the gun to sabotage production. Um, and then coupled with the fact that he didn't actually pull the trigger and there are witnesses who say that he didn't pull the trigger. Literally it was him um, basically pulling the hammer of the gun. And I guess the cocking hammer went, it. exactly cocking it. And then the hammer went down without him actually pushing the trigger. So it also, it's like a prop malfunction potentially. Um, but anyway, it just goes to the point that like, potentially there was sabotage on set. So like, I want to hear your thoughts on this and like why you would believe it or not. Like, why would you think that the thing would be like sabotage? Why would someone want to sabotage Alec Baldwin? I mean, okay. So I'm still unsure that a gun can shoot itself. I don't know enough about guns, <laughs> but like, fine. Maybe there's a, mal uh, a malfunction, but I feel like if if we're looking at this logically, and I think that's the only way that you can look at this, right? It's like, mm -hmm. how many fucking things have to go wrong? Let's not even talk about the fact that two other live rounds were shot. You'd think that somebody would go around and be like, oh, do we have any other fucking live rounds well, or actual bullets on set? We don't know if they were like actual live rounds. We just okay. know that there was an accidental discharge, okay. whatever that means. Okay, whatever that, whatever that means, right? The moral yeah. of the story is it happens once, you should you would think that somebody would be like, let's be diligent about this. It happens twice. You would think that somebody would be like, wait, hold on. Maybe we need to like chill out on this, like on untouching guns before we know what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's number, or I guess it's number one, number two, whatever I'm up to. Again, I don't know how a gun shoots itself. Maybe it malfunctions. <laughs> okay. Um, but to go back to point number one, why were, or whatever, wherever I'm at, like, a gun accidentally shooting itself and happened to have a bullet in it that shouldn't have been on the set in the first place, that's mm -hmm. a little fishy. That's a little fishy to me. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that this is pure negligence if that's actually what happened. And I saw that um, the budget was really low, right? It was like $7 million, which mm-hmm. sounds like so much, but apparently it's nothing in the, in the scheme of, of Hollywood mm-hmm. and production budgets. But I saw that that was, it was budgeted to only be filmed in like 21 days. That is three weeks to film an entire movie. Again, I've mm-hmm. never been on a movie set. Anybody wants to invite me, I will happily come because I'd love to see what it's like. However, I, so I saw that um, the crew had like walked out and they were striking and all these things because they were like, mm-hmm. hey, we are not going to continue to work 13 hour days or 14 hour days or whatever it is. Like this, this is, I think this is definitely a fuck up. Mm-hmm. I think it's negligence, but I also, I, I think it's just even more messy because there's so many other yeah. layers of like stupidity that clearly went on with this entire project. Yeah. Well, there's also like, I was reading that because of um, IATSE, it's basically like the International Alliance of like theatrical and stage folk, like the union okay. for production crew members. Um, as you know, there is a whole thing right now within the industry of IATSE kind of, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, I-A-T-S-E. Um, they are- Oh, I would have been like IATSE. <laughs> No, I think you're probably right. <laughs> um, but they've been like protesting and basically trying to ensure safety protocols and like improved work environments as well as improved income, um, just to ensure that, you know, they're actually taking care of. And so there's like theories that potentially someone may have sabotaged the set or that, you know, there was a certain level of negligence that was upped in this situation because of the tension that's going on right now with like behind the scenes crews. Do you think that the, uh, let's just talk about the whole idea that somebody was actually sabotaging Alec Baldwin. I don't know if he's really like the most liked person in Hollywood. I, I feel like. Well, his political stuff. Remember like him playing Trump and like being very vocal. Yes. So people say that like, because of like how heated that is and how divided the country is that somebody no could way. take that to an extreme. Oh, I didn't know that's what it was about. No, I, I don't think. I don't, I, I, I look, I hope to God that people aren't that evil. So let's go ahead and give humanity a little bit of, um, we'll assume good intent there. Um, but I feel like if you, if you really think about that, you're, you're actually, I, I would think that like a conspiracy theory would be more that they would want to hurt someone else on set and have him be the fall guy. So yes, but like, but like also trying to be like, hey, this isn't like safe environment. So therefore our argument is valid that like we're fighting for better safety and like more things in place for us, given like, look at how unsafe this environment was, for example. So I love a conspiracy theory. I think that that is a very, 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 if you are talking about how unsafe something is mm-hmm. to go and kill, like have somebody. Maybe they live. weren't intending for someone to get killed though. Well, it already went off. There were unintentional discharges two times prior. So what the fuck did you think was going to happen next? So no, I'm inclined to throw that out. That doesn't, it doesn't add up to me personally. I think that someone was just fucking stupid. And I go back to the whole armor person. Like, Mm. what is your job? And like, think about it, right? I feel like the reason why like a CFO can sometimes be so crazy, and this is just an example, a CFO can be so crazy or is crazy is because at the end of the day, they are literally the ones who are responsible for getting their names, that the books are not cooked, that the books are legit, mm-hmm. that this is how we spent our money and blah, 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 blah. And even if low, you know what I mean? Like low man on the totem pole, who was the one that was inputting shit into Excel or I don't know, whatever the hell they use when they're reconciling your accounting at the end of the year. Like if, if, 
somebody else completely unrelated to the C or sorry, not unrelated, but somebody that never ever saw the CFO in person Mm -hmm. makes a mistake. It's on the CFO because the CFO is the one who signed off and said, yep, looks good. I am the person in charge here. And then therefore that's the person that's going to go to court. That's the person that's going to go to jail. So for me, I think, again, this is really messy because there's so many other elements of people just fucking up left and right. But for me, from a legal perspective, from a moral perspective, it's something different. But I almost feel like this is pretty cut and dry. Interesting. And that's it. That's the tea. That's the tea. I'm a lawyer now. Didn't you know? Look at me. <laughs> Look no, but right? Like, I think when you think about it, the, the person who is literally, you are employed, you are contracted, you are responsible for yeah. the the safety of everyone effectively mm-hmm. with the weapons that are on set. Like, yeah, no, I agree with you. Right or wrong or her fault or not. I don't know. I'm not, but I feel like this should be a little bit more cut and dry. Oh, hundred percent. So I agree with you on all that you said. The only reason I brought up conspiracy theories is because like, once again, I know you love them. So I was like, let me bring no, I do. you. I do love one. And I appreciate you kind of appealing to, to that. Um, yeah. But I think in this case, I'm like, mm, uh-uh. yeah. So you're actually correct. An armor, as you have probably oh. already heard, is known as like a weapons master and they're required to be on set whenever there is a weapon that is being used. Okay. Um, apparently they're supposed to be an uninterrupted sort of chain of custody from the armor straight to the actor. Actor, right. Um, so which didn't happen on rest. Fun fact. Whose fault is that? In regards to what happened on rest, it was the AD, the assistant director who okay. handed Alec the gun. From what I've read, what somebody who knows nothing about weapons is handing him the gun. Exactly. But the thing is, is like, they're supposed to be the primary safety officer on set, the first assistant director. But um, the typical process is, let me just run through this, is, you know, the armorer will check the revolver to ensure that it's empty, especially since this is a period film and they're using revolver type weapons. Makes sense. Check the revolver, ensure that there's, you know, they'll rotate through all of the cylinders of the revolver, ensure that there are no bullets inside. Um, Then they would go to the first assistant director who is supposed to be the primary safety officer on the set to visually inspect the weapon, Uh. right? Then they say that the gun is cold, which means basically that it's safe. And then the armor goes back to hand the actor the gun. That's what should have happened. Got it. Okay. And so what's interesting here, um, when I was like, okay, so what does it actually take? Like, what background do you need as an armor? Because that's a pretty big job. That's a pretty big safety job. Like, yeah, what are background? You not, are you not <laughs> to be like a arms <laughs> instructor? Exactly. So I was like, I wonder what kind of formal background is required. Um, apparently none. None, no formal background is required, which is alarming, very alarming. Okay. Um, and the armor for this film, Hannah Gutierrez Reed. Um, so this was her, not her first, this was a se- her second production that she's ever done of this magnitude. She only had one other large production under her belt, um, and it was called um, The Old Way, and it was with Nicolas Cage. Um, however, she is supposedly the child of a Hollywood veteran armorer um, who's worked on big productions like Django Unchained, Blade, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, aka her dad is like a pretty impressive background, which to me denotes that we're seeing nepotism at its finest here. So I think they gave the job to someone who may not have been as qualified for this job. Okay, so first of all, 
really, really, really would appreciate if somebody in my family could hook me up with some kind of really cool <laughs> fucking Hollywood job. Um, but do you think that the again going back to the fact this was a budget film? Mm-hmm. Maybe they were like, oh, her dad is really good at his job. Maybe he's taught her something. Maybe he'll help her out with this. And they hired her because... Which then leads to negligence on the production side. So we can then move negligence from armor then to production. So who made the decision to hire this person? Well, yes. So again, this is like that, I think, legal gray area that I am not qualified to comment on, but I, I still maintain that it's still her job. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether or not like, you know what the fuck you're doing. Like, I, I hope you do, but I, I, I'm inclined to think that this is like, she signed up to be the person responsible for every single weapon on that side. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I will say something really funny that I found out. Um, and this is like still hearsay, but supposedly, Um, people are referencing or noting that on set production and crew members brought live bullets so that they could shoot at cans in their off I saw that. And I was like, oh, so that may be how the live bullets got on set. But still, as the armorer, you should have been like, no live bullets on set. And how did the live and the dummy bullets get mixed together? That's the other thing too. Yeah. But nonetheless, I just think it's negligence on her end, like, If you didn't have the expertise, I don't think you should have taken on this role. And look, I'm all for giving people learning experiences, but like, like interning maybe a little bit, you know, maybe not in this particular case where you're actually responding to the lives of like multiple people. Um, Okay. So I know that you mentioned in, I forget which episode that this has happened before. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you mentioned like on the set of Crow. Mm Mm-hmm. Would you say that this is common? Is it rare? I mean, I hope to God it's rare in Hollywood. Girl, this is, I got pretty depressed when I started looking at these um, incidents. So you can find like actual onset accidents ranging from the early 1900s onwards in Hollywood history, which is wild. Um, There have been about 43 fatalities on American, only American, we don't know internationally what that number is, film sets since 1990, with another 150 actors and our crew members left with life-altering injuries as a result of those accidents, Um, often because of a result of like a botched stunt, which is like staged on location. So The Crow is similar in that it was um, a gun-related situation. So Brandon Lee, who's Bruce Lee's son, was killed on set with a gun that was supposed to be loaded with blinks, but the police found a 44 bullet lodged in his spine. Um, And the crew was found negligent, but the district attorney ended up not bringing up charges against the production company, which I think is Oh, surprise, surprise. There was another one in 1984 for a show called Cover Up, I think. Um, And it was supposed to be like this Russian roulette scene and some guy put a gun to his head. Basically, John um, Eric Hexum, I think is the actor, put a gun to his head thinking that there was, you know, nothing in it and playing the Russian roulette uh, game. Um, It was supposed to be filled with blanks, but the force of the explosion actually fractured his skull and Mm -hmm. it caused hemorrhaging in his brain and he was declared brain dead when he was brought to the hospital. And of course, outside of these two incidents that were related to guns, there are several not related to guns. You have Midnight Rider, which I think is the one that will be interesting to look at legally. So Midnight Rider, a camera assistant, was hit by an oncoming train. Um, And because it was found that the conditions on set were really unsafe, uh, the director 
two producers and the first assistant director were all charged with involuntary manslaughter. Fun facts. Um, and then you had The Dark Knight, which is a very popular Batman movie where a stuntman was killed. Due to oh, yes, I remember that. On. Yep. And so there's like so many of these that happen. And in particular, a lot of these incidents typically relate to stuntmen and women who've been injured on set and killed. I feel like that kind of makes sense, right? Like, as sad as that is, it would make sense that the people that are literally hired to do things that like regular actors can't do, don't want to do, whatever. Um, given their line of work, first of all, I imagine they're compensated very, very, very well. But is that not like I would imagine? I, I guess I could see people being like, "Hey, you're you're risking putting your life in danger. Like you're literally voluntarily hanging off the side of a building or mm-hmm. whatever, jumping off the side of a building, whatever it might be." Like. Are, is that not a con- condition in their contract that like, can they actually legally take action? So I don't think they can legally take action, but like, Again, it's an ethical thing. I know, but yeah, for me, it's like, it's more like the ethics of it, of like, how far are we willing to go? Right. To get like authentic real shit on camera. Um, like, I feel like we should like, Hollywood should still try to make the set and the experience itself as safe as possible, which I feel like is not happening. No, it's not happening because of budget, because of timelines, which relates to budget. For example, I remember a few episodes back, you were like, well, why can't they like do it by VFX, right? Like visual effects, like create the gun thing. It's because of money. It's too expensive to have a team visually recreate that scene for you. Um, And they're doing it for money purposes. And it kind of reminds me of, um, did you ever watch the movie Triple X with Vin Diesel? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So apparently there was a stuntman that died on set due to a, like a paragliding a- accident. Oh. And uh, Rob Cohen, the director, um, he basically said, you know, we had 500 stuntmen involved with this picture. 499 didn't get a scratch. It shows you the links to which we'll go to to bring this kind of intense experience to the viewer. Stuntmen know the da- that they're in danger. They'll make their living through danger. Most of the time it's all right. Sometimes, unfortunately, it isn't. Which makes me feel like like... Like, should we really even be going that hard anyway to create, like, why are we getting people so used to such, like, extreme intense experiences when it's putting people in harm's way, in a sense? Um, Yeah, I, like, and it also goes back into, like, another good example, I think, is, did you hear about Harry Potter, like, in the Deathly Hallows movie, how Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double got paralyzed? Oh, what? so this is tragic. So they're actually, they well, I don't know if they're still good friends, but they were actually really good friends on set. And um, apparently David Holmes, he was a stunt double for Radcliffe. He got knocked into a wall during a staged explosion. And as a result, he like broke his neck and he became tetraplegic. And I feel like a good example oh of like, well, why didn't we like, you know, coat the wall with something, like put some kind of padding or something to ensure that this person wouldn't like get the full force or brunt of this, you know, of getting slammed into a wall. And so this person is like completely tetraplegic. Like it's, it's permanent and it's not reversible in any way, shape or form. So it's like oh shit like that where I'm like, really? Like there, I feel like Hollywood should have some safety protocols to a measure. And I feel like they're not doing it because A, we're already paying the statement. B, we don't want to add to our budget or timeline, et cetera, et cetera. Isn't that wild? I didn't know that. Um, it's I mean, it's, yeah. I, mm-hmm. Again, I'm just going back to like, if it, I guess the, the question for me really does come down to, are they truly taking 
all of the precautions as they possibly can. And like, I think there's going to be a corner case, right? There's going to be a situation where unfortunately shit happens. Mm -hmm. The rest situation sounds like we didn't, or whoever didn't do their jobs. It sounds Mm -hmm. like people were negligent. Um, Yes. To your point, like, I mean, you would think just putting like some fucking foam or like blankets. Um, Fuck. I don't know. I'm also like a little scaredy cat and I cry zip lining and stuff. So don't know. You know what I mean? Don't know. I would never, ever, ever want to be someone who did that. So I could never see risking my life. But Mm -hmm. I know that there are a lot of people who get thrills and who love it. And Mm -hmm. like, what about all the people that die doing like base jumping for fun? Is it that we shouldn't allow that? Is it, you know, I I, I know it's different, but I'm just saying like, it's just, I I guess I think like if somebody is doing that for a living and I'm not trying to, to say that them losing lives or being hurt or being such a plagiarist or anything is, is right. But I I do, I I guess I feel like there is like an element of, you know, that shit can go wrong if you're going to be volunteering for this. And so I, I agree that we need to find ways to, you could have put, something protective over the wall. You could have done these things. Somebody should have made sure that there was literally nothing in a fucking gun before somebody was going to point it at somebody else. Mm -hmm. But I think that there, you know what I mean? Again, I think like the the paragliding incident is the one that I'm specifically thinking of. Like, I feel like that, like that is more like. Oh, a hundred percent. Like there are things that you can't, you know, like it's, it's, it is what it is. And you're paying them and compensating them appropriately. But there are certain things like when I think about what happened to David Holmes, Radical I'm just like, that could have been avoided. You know yeah, what I mean? No, I agree. And I feel like Hollywood, when is enough enough? You know what I mean? Like, when are you guys actually going to implement safety protocols? And like, instead of nickel and diming when it comes to safety, because you want to stay in budget or like, you know, just, God. you know, incorporate a piece of your budget for that and yeah. like incorporate a part of the timeline dedicated to safety. Um, the other thing that going back to what you had mentioned about, like, they only had 21 days to film this film Mm -hmm. rest, um, going back to protocols, protocols weren't followed even from the standpoint of him pointing the gun at the camera. So that is like a big no, no in the industry. Um, even though some people of course, like are lax with protocols here and there, and especially as you get closer to timeline and budget ends, like, of course, there's going to be more laxity in process, but like a lot of people in the industry or what's typical safety protocol is you would put like a camera that's like controlled remotely for when you have those types of scenes. Oh yeah. Even when it comes but to- I assumed it, man. No, and they didn't do that. Behind the camera? Hmm? There was literally someone behind the camera when he was pointing at it? Yeah. There was someone behind the, That's how Helena got shot. Yeah. Wait, but I thought that it was just rehearsal. Yeah, but it was like rehearsal of like here we're gonna like angle it so that uh, we get the right camera shots that we want. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah, and they didn't use a remote camera. Like that's wild to me. So there were yeah. so many ways of error here, and so I think the civil lawsuits will be interesting to see who is actually at fault. But also from like a legal standpoint, will there be involuntary manslaughter charges? And who's really at fault? Is it the armorer? Is it the is it the production company who hired I think her? It's so many people. Is it you know? And then also the interesting thing is Alec Baldwin is a producer on the film too, which also means us several different things. If you're a creative contributor, you could be a fucking producer. If you yeah. help get funding, you could be a producer. But like he wasn't the one who made the decision to hire her, from what he said. Yeah. So I think. I think that there's going to be multiple people who are 
charged at the end of the day here. And mm-hmm. I think that that's just because it's such a fucking shit show that they have to do that in order to kind of cover their bases. I also think Alec Baldwin needs to just keep his fucking mouth shut. Like mm-hmm. the, the thing that like, you know, I, I watched, um, I watched part of the interview, but to be honest, I was a little bit bored by him. I felt like he made it. He was, he seemed a little bit narcissistic and was very much like, I, 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 and like, come on, mm-hmm. so, you know, like, I don't know what he was hoping to achieve by it, but I think that he, we, he keeps saying like, I know somebody's responsible for this, but it's not me. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's so fucked up that he's trying to just completely not distance himself. Cause I know that he's cooperating and he's doing this and he did mm-hmm. this interview and blah, blah, blah. And he's not just kind of trying to brush it under the, the rug, but I feel like he needs to do a better job of showing empathy instead of just being like, well, I'm not the one who did this. Well, I think the gun shot itself. Like again, saying I didn't pull the trigger. Like you had the gun in your hand. Yeah. I I just, it, it seems very like I'm trying to take any and all accountability off of myself. But again, you signed on to be an executive producer. Therefore you are literally taking accountability for yeah, Whatever but it's happens. like, once again, there's like so many things that fall in line with what a producer contributes. And I think he maybe contributed financially, maybe contributed creatively. Um, I also will say, you know, there's this part for me, when I watch the interview, I feel like he feels lots of sadness, regret, and guilt about it because, you know, it's someone he knows and he took a human life unknowingly. You know what I mean? Like, I hope he fucking feels that way. Of course he does. And I, I, I believe I, in my heart, truly, truly believe, and this could be just like the romantic, like naive optimist in me. Um, I, I feel like he does. I feel like he did the interview because his lawyer or the way that he framed a lot of the rhetoric was probably because his lawyer was like, look, you're still going to be in these civil lawsuits. You need to watch what you fucking say and don't take the blame. Um, because yeah. at the end of the day, it really isn't the actor's fault. Like safety no, protocols don't. and processes in place, put it at the armor and the AD, the first assistant director, hundred percent, who should have looked at it verbally, said that it was okay. He came out and was like, "I don't really remember," blah 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 blah, and I was like, "That's part of your job, sir." Um, oh yeah, no 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 no. I don't think that Alec Baldwin is responsible for the yeah process. I don't think that he. I don't even think that he's responsible for checking the gun. To be honest with you, because mm-hmm. he assumed right. I would imagine that he would have assumed multiple other people would have done it. Mm -hmm. But I still think that he could do a better job at kind of bringing the spotlight or keeping the spotlight on Helena Mm -hmm. and her family instead of being like, well, it's not me. Mm. I just think he's, he's, he's trying very, and, and look, don't get me wrong. I, if I was in a position where I accidentally did something that had a very, very, very serious ramification where I killed somebody or, Mm -hmm. you know, less, did less. I can't say that I wouldn't be trying really hard to do the same thing, Mm. but I feel like his team could do a better job of being like, look, at least try to appear. Mm. Mm -hmm. Do you think, I guess a good question for you is, do you think he should have done the interview to begin with? Um, Do you think that it served some sort of purpose that the world needed or society needed or that he needed. I think that the interview was not a bad call, but I think that the focus of the interview maybe shouldn't have, like, I just felt like it came off very much like 
I'm cooperating. I'm doing what I got to do. It wasn't my fault. Was not, he didn't name names, but I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think that he could have just, I think maybe he had to use that as a platform to be like, Hey, maybe we need to talk about create better conditions for people. Do you think though, that he had control over what was going to be covered in the interview? Um, I think they definitely gave him a heads up. He seemed a little bit very, he seemed a little calm, a little comfortable. A little comfortable. <laughs> right. He, I, I felt fair, like fair he point. comfortable. I feel like he, he knew he was going in saying, I'm not the one to blame. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one who was responsible for, um, you know, for checking anything. I did my job. I feel so sorry. I love movies or films or cinemas or whatever the fuck he called it. I I think that he had a very, very, very intentional message that he was trying to get across. And I think that he did. um, I just think he came across as kind of callous. That's fair. That's a fair point. From from what I saw. And I I felt like he missed the point of like, we get it. You didn't do it. Or you didn't quote unquote, pull the trigger of of the gun that you held in your hand that shot itself. Um, But I feel like, yeah, like he could have done a better job of just bringing light to the fact that like something went wrong and like, I am so sorry for what happened. Mm. That's, that's my personal thing. What did you think about? I thought what was interesting in the interview was when he talked about the civil lawsuits and how he expects the husband on behalf of like Helena's child to like, you know, file a civil lawsuit so they can at least get some money from the insurance due to her death. But the fact is, is that there are two people who filed a lawsuit before, before them, them, knowing that there's already like a set pool of money from the insurance that can be paid out. Like, what did you think about that? I was like, I was like, this is some shady shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's fucked up. I think that quite frankly, the only person who should be gaining financially from anything at this point is the child oh, or the family. So that's just, it's just, I thought what was grody is that it was her friend that did it. Like apparently the guy who, one of the guys who like filed the lawsuit was like a friend of her, like a good friend of hers. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Gross. It was disgusting. Like you're a piece of shit. Let the fucking, oh, whatever. Yeah. Also, it's like they haven't even finished the investigation and people are already, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, I feel so sorry for her and her family because I feel like it's, the focus is, is, being taken away from like what happened to her. Yeah. So it is horrifying. And I'm hoping that this is like a learning lesson and like in a sense that her death potentially could have like a reason of like bettering conditions for production people. Like I'm hoping this is a wake up call for Hollywood. Truly. I pray to God. So there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us again on The Basic and the Brain. Be sure to join us next week for our next spin on intellectualizing our basic bitch interests. Be sure to join us and don't forget to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tweet us at Basic and Brain and follow us at The Basic and the Brain on Instagram. Give us feedback. Tell us what you love, what you don't love. Tell us what topics you'd like for us to cover. And we'll talk to you all later. 